this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss Don't Twilio Your Thumbs, Unknown Attackers Targeted Signal Users After Breaking Into Twilio. Next up, Sign Sealed Malicious. North Korean hackers use a signed malicious executable for Mac OS to fish hopeful Coinbase applicants. And of course, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 129, recorded on Monday, August 22nd, 2022. I'm your co-host, Callie, the punicle of humor, Fensel, and with me is co-host Tim, Sharks with Lazarus Helming, and last but not least, our special guest, Daniel, putting the sigh in signal, Schwalbe. Hello, hello, hello to both of you. Greetings. Hello there. Thank you, both of you, for being here. I know um, for those for uh, frequent listeners, you're noticing I am stepping in again for uh, Kelsey LaBelle, who is on a very uh, well-deserved um, vacation. And she will actually be back in a couple of weeks. Um, and then uh, Taylor Wilkes-Pierce also on uh, on some PTO as well. So we are very uh, lucky. Yeah, to, but he didn't yeah. deserve his as much. He didn't deserve his as much. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I jest. Of course he did. No. Taylor's the best. No, I'm sure like, uh, you know, anybody who's familiar with, uh, with you know, domain tools and breaking badness knows that uh, Taylor has been at all of the trade shows recently. Um, like, not, not that- really making the rounds. Yeah, not that the two of you haven't been, but I feel like uh, Taylor's been pretty much at every single one. So- uh, so he, so I, w- I would say he, he deserves it, I suppose. So, <laughs> but um, yes, thank you both for being here. Um, I know uh, we talked a little bit about um, Tim, you, uh, your experience at Black Hat last week, but I know Daniel was there as well. Daniel, do you want to just give like a brief synopsis of uh, of your time at Black Hat? Oh yeah, absolutely. I, um, I think it was a great show. You know, it was really the first one sort of, after the major pandemic lockdown stuff uh, happened, and I was uh, very happy with the turnout. Uh, I spent a little bit of time in the booth. Uh, mostly I do meetings, but uh, hanging out at the booth a little bit. I thought it was uh, great conversations. I think people were really excited to be back out and you know among their peers. And so Black Hat is you know one of the slightly more technical shows as far as that goes. And I also stayed on for uh, DEF CON after, and that was certainly... Uh, a lot of fun. That's awesome. Um, so Ooh, yeah, DefCon yeah. report. Ooh, yeah. Any any particular things stand out from that? First rule about DefCon: don't talk about DefCon. No, just kidding. No, it was really great. Um, I had um, uh, I spent a lot of time in the lock picking village and physical security. Those are kind of my personal you know, bailiwicks, if you will. Uh, I saw a couple of new cool tools in terms of physical security that gave me something to think about. And then the voting machine village uh, on everybody's mind, what's going on with voting. And so that was pretty cool seeing that and being able to go hands-on with some of the devices. Do you know Deviant Alam? I do not. uh, Have you you seen any of his presentations? He does pretty cool physical security 
presentations. Yeah, I've seen a couple of them, but I'd, I'd love to know them better. I saw him uh, only incidentally because he was supporting a talk that Tara gave um, at DEFCON, the last DEFCON that I was at. Uh, but but pretty interesting stuff. Cool. It's good to it's good to hear those reports. There's always really fascinating stuff going on there. Yeah, and actually, um, you know, circling back to Black Hat, I I heard um, through the grapevine, and when I say grapevine, I mean um, Taylor Wilkes Pierce. Um, that one of the bigger topics was um, this the story that we're talking about today, the um, the unknown attackers um, who targeted signal users um, after breaking into Twilio. Like, what, what was your sense of that, Daniel? Uh, that certainly was discussed widely. I mean, Signal is a very popular app in the InfoSec community. Um, most people that I communicate with that are sort of uh, part of InfoSec or even adjacent uh, use it. I think it's a great you know app in terms of uh, security enter and decryption, you know, making it difficult to intercept and eavesdrop. But it did have uh, what I almost would consider a side channel attack uh, that happened, and the discussion uh, was you know as, as soon as the news broke, we all tried to figure out like exactly what happened, who was affected. You know, doing the basic triage as an incident responder, it's kind of hard habit to shake and so there was a lot of discussion around like could that have been avoided what what's the exact details there yeah I, I i totally get that so maybe starting at the beginning for people that might not know uh or are not that familiar with twilio like can can you talk about what exactly this issue is that they're currently facing yeah so twilio is one of those um Secondary companies that, in terms of users, don't directly interact with them, but they are uh, a huge provider of communication services to other companies. And by that, I mean they have I APIs that you can use to send and also receive uh, SMS messages, uh, make and receive phone calls, that sort of thing. So if you ever get an, an SMS from a company that you know you have an account with or you do business with, and that said, okay, here's your confirmation code or you know, here's your, you know, updated subscription information, that sort of thing. Chances are that'll have gone through Twilio or one of its competitors, but they're kind of uh, the big name in that space. Um, I mean, I personally use Twilio on a low volume account. I have, uh, I'm responsible for a network that has three egress points. Uh, and whenever one goes down and switches, I have a little script that just checks uh, what's the public facing IP right now. And if it's changed, it sends me a quick SMS saying, hey, this is the new you know, network IP details. And so I found that really easy to integrate. So it's a great, it's a great system, but it uses SMS it can also make phone calls where you get get, get like a robot says, okay, press four if, that sort of stuff. But SMS as a protocol, you know, it's been around since the early 90s and it's inherently insecure. So the question about should sensitive information ever be sent over SMS, uh, I feel strongly that it shouldn't. You know, for example, companies that use uh, 2FA, MFA that they deliver over SMS, I am not a fan just because it's, illegal, but pretty easy to intercept uh, text messages and read them surreptitiously without necessarily the uh, user no uh, noticing uh, SIM jacking or you know putting up a fake uh, uh, cell phone roaming company and being able to re read the information that way is, is all has been done. 
That's really interesting. I I didn't realize that that Twilio's or or like you said, or its competitors is behind those confirmation texts. That's really cool to know. Um, and I'm just kind of interested in what in what you had said before. Is SMS the the best way to share that information? And you said no. In your opinion, what would be the best way to disseminate that information? So that's where it gets tricky, right? Because some things need to be delivered sort of in a real-time way. And if all you have from a customer is their phone number, uh, if you don't have email or something like that, it's, uh, it's definitely tricky. I am of the opinion that uh, something as sensitive as a, a two-factor authentication code, once you've you know, passed your password check, uh, should not be sent over SMS because those messages live on your service provider's uh, server for a period of time uh, if it can't get immediately deleted. And in certain circumstances, they've also been retained for various other legal reasons for many, many weeks, if not months. So a lot of them are time sensitive. Okay, you got to enter this code within the next five minutes or it it's becomes useless. That's, that can help mitigate the risk. But if you like log into your bank where you have your millions and millions of dollars and the only thing standing you know, between uh, a bad guy and your account access once they've fished your password is an, uh, a quick SMS, you bet they're going to expend the resources of trying to intercept your SMS. And so in that case, I think app-based authentication or even a hardware token is a much better option. Not as easy to implement, but I think commensurate with the risk level. I, I think banks nowadays that still use SMS verification, I don't think I would want to do business with them personally. I mean, all I heard out of that was, Callie, you should be like your grandpa and put your money in the ductwork. Is what I heard. <laughs> well, given current interest rates, that might not be the worst. But, I was uh... just going to say, your, your, your interest rate would probably be comparable. <laughs> I know. And I'm I'm seriously not kidding. That was that is a story where he actually kept his money in the ductwork. Um, might well, be you know, the, the burglars are always going to be looking in the mattress. So he uh, he had one up on. He's, there. A, he's a visionary. <laughs> so um, so let's talk a little bit, Daniel, about, um, you know, who like so Twilio is is a B2B company and they have their own customers um, who are affected by this. Can you talk a little bit about you know who who those uh, who those companies are. Well, companies don't typically disclose their sort of secondary providers, but just what yeah, we know about sense. the market uh, is that chances are, like I mentioned, if you receive one of those automatic test, text confirmations, there's a really good chance that Twilio was involved. And in this particular attack, a uh, you know unauthorized uh, intruder. Uh, was able to get access to Twilio's support system. So they are a company. If you are a customer, you can contact them for support. And for troubleshooting purposes, their support agents need to be able to have access to customer, the B2B customer's accounts, which they can see the messages that the their customer has sent into the system and then gets delivered to the customer's customer, if you will. So in the Signal situation, uh, if I'm a Signal user, then Signal is the, is the customer of Twilio. They send the message through the Twilio API, but it arrives on my end. And so the support person at Twilio would be able to go into the Signal uh, 
account. I don't know how they have it separated, but it's probably in chunks and is able to see a good amount of uh, messages that Signal has sent to their users, to the Signal users. And what we know from the uh, description and the aftermath of the statements that have been published, about 1,900 Signal users were affected by this. And this is over, out of over 40 million active users. And I think the app has been downloaded well north of 100, 000, 100 million times. So uh, 1,900 users doesn't sound that big of a percentage, but it really depends on who those users are. And if that was very targeted, it could still be extremely damaging. Gotcha. And and just like for clarification, when you say that makes absolute sense that, you know, uh, Twilio wouldn't want to share who exactly their customers are and customers wouldn't want them to necessarily know that they're using Twilio. Is there a way, it sounds like there's not really a way to work around using a service like Twilio, is there? This is where, you know, security and convenience will always and forever clash. And in this particular situation, SMS is that is something that most mobile phones today can receive. Even if you have an old school flip phone, chances are it can still receive uh, SMS because that's the old school protocol, you know, since the early 90s. Uh, as opposed to newer ones like Signal or iMessage or WhatsApp, etc. And so most uh, phones are capable of receiving uh, SMS, and therefore it is still very popular, and it's sort of the uh, um, intersection between usability, convenience, even though it's not as secure as most people think it is. Gotcha. Okay. So... It's not necessarily all bad news for Signal in this instance, is it? Like it seems like they might have had some fail safes in place, maybe. Yes. So to talk a little bit about how Signal actually works is that they do not require users to have usernames, passwords, because you know, those also can be stolen. Uh, and the idea is you have a Signal account that's tied to your device. And there you can securely send and receive messages, make calls, etc. But what Signal does require to uh, sort of have a some level of verification is you have to give it a phone number that is capable of receiving either SMS or a voice call where a robot tells you, you know, what the number is, uh, something like that. And so when you first download Signal app, you've never used it before, you give it a phone number, and then Signal will send you an SMS, or if you, that's the option that you pick, which then goes through Twilio, and then it's supposed to be delivered on a phone number that you can have immediate access to. It'll give you a code. You put that in the Signal app, and then essentially you are verified. Now, the tricky part is your Signal account is not necessarily tied to the phone number of the device that you have Signal installed on. So you could use a VoIP number or some other you know, third-party number if you're very concerned about can phone numbers be linked to you. You may not want to use your, your primary uh, cell phone number for this. So you could use a, a separate number just for your Signal account. Now, of course, you have to tell whoever you're communicating with if they know your primary phone number, they're not going to find you that way. So uh, the phone number is also used to sort of look up uh, individuals uh, that you want to message with. So in this particular case, where this gets tricky is if I create an account with a certain phone number, I can transfer 
the account to be used on a different cell phone, for example, uh, so because it's not tied to the phone number of that device. So once you move it over to a different device, you have to re-verify, uh, and this is where uh, the attackers were watching. They tried to pick signal accounts of people that they were interested in. Uh, for example, uh, a Vice uh, motherboard reporter was targeted by this. They published a story on that, which was very helpful and enlightening. And so in there, they targeted this particular reporter and essentially said, hey, I am this reporter. I want to transfer my signal account to a different device which triggers an automatic verification SMS through Twilio. And since they were able to see it in time, they were able to prevent it from being delivered to the actual number, had the code, and then on their device, essentially got the confirmation. And so for all signals concerned, everything's honky-dory, and they're able to now impersonate that account, send messages, receive messages as if it was the legitimate user. And the, the legitimate user just gets the device deregistered and is none the wiser. So Signal is going to alert the 1,900 victims of this hack and force them to re-register their accounts. Do you, what do you think of that solution? It, does it seem like the best course of action? It just it doesn't seem very customer friendly, and I'm just wondering what your thoughts on that are, Daniel. Yes. So given the options that they have available, really the only information they have on their users is that phone number that the account was originally registered with. So I'm sympathetic to Signal and effectively they have to uh, use the re-verification and if you've opted for SMS before, then that's what they're going to do. It's it's not optimal, but in a uh, you know customer relationship, even though Signal is free and is you know, donation supported, you still effectively a customer, in a situation like that, um, where the company, nonprofit, uh, the Signal Foundation, uh, does not want to have any access to their users' messages, they do not, it's all encrypted, stays on the phone locally, uh, the only way they can contact people is with information that was provided at the registration point. Now, there are additional safeguards that Signal has put in place that can sort of help with preventing this in the future. Can you elaborate on what those are? Yeah, certainly. So the main feature there is uh, a uh, what they call a registration lock. Uh, you go into your settings and you can enable that. And the, the uh, reporter from Vice News has mentioned that they had that disabled and uh, certainly uh, is recommended to have that enabled, which means you can't actually transfer your Signal account to another device unless you uh, know the Signal pin, which is a second control that's a good idea to set uh, and Signal will remind you periodically, so make sure you don't forget it, because if you forget that pin, then you know all of the encrypted data essentially is no longer accessible. So they uh, will force you to re-register just to prove that you still have access to the number that you originally signed up with. And then the recommendation is to uh, enable that uh, uh, setting that prevents transferring off the uh, number to another account. And then I also think, and this is me personally, uh, Signal has the option to verify your contacts. Again, it all happens on your phone. Signal, the uh, foundation, knows nothing about this. But 
if you are communicating with somebody frequently on Signal, you have the option to compare uh, some key fingerprints, and if they match, you can uh, mark that person verified. Anytime that other person's account gets transferred to a different device, something has changed, or when they change their signal pin, something has changed on their end, uh, your end of the connection knows that something has changed and will say this user is no longer verified. So then you at least have an indication that something might be going on. And uh, in the sort of high-stakes situation where you really want to be sure that it's the person you're communicating with and not being impersonated, uh, doing this verification, ideally in person, there's a QR code you can scan, uh, but you can certainly also do it over uh, a video call if you know the person, what they look like, you know, make sure that you know, you're actually dealing with the correct person. Uh, you can set that verification. Anything in the ecosystem that changes, that verification will alert you that it's no longer verified. And then you know that you need to make some phone calls or wonder what the heck's going on. Gotcha. Thanks. Thank you, Daniel. Um, so, so where do you think we go from here? So Twilio has an incident report on their blog that they say they will continue to update. But, but do you think there's going to be you know, any more to this story? Um, probably not. Signal also has published a summary uh, of the incident, how it affected them and their users. So I certainly believe in transparency. The first, you know, hours after things kind of started uh, coming out, I always a little nerve wracking because there's a lot of speculation going on. So I always think it's a good policy of any company that's gotten breached or who had a, a vendor to them that got breached is to disclose as much information as they legally can uh, within a reasonable amount of time. I don't know that you should really be rushing uh, to publish something when you don't know all the facts yet, because that leads to more speculation. But you shouldn't also unnecessarily delay a notification for weeks while you're sitting on it. That's a you know, topic for another podcast. But in general, I'm happy with the disclosures that they made. Um, and the way Signal is designed, you know, the malicious intruders could never access past messages. They couldn't get the user's contact information. The only thing that they could do, which isn't good, but in the scheme of things, it's a limited exposure, is they could impersonate you. But you would still, as the malicious uh, attacker, have to figure out who that person was communicating with, were they on Signal, and figure all that out. So the the barrier of entry to make this a very successful uh, attack is still reasonably high, but the fact that it happened in the first place, first place is not great. Gotcha. So so given that information, I think we can kind of go into our next part of this, which is our, our hoodie rating. Um, if you're a newer listener, uh, we like to rate um, these discussions from one to 10 hoodies. And hoodies uh, are, if you are Thinking about a stereotypical hacker, you know, with their hoodie up, kind of like in the darkness, just with, with a blue light uh, reflecting on their face. Um, so 10 is the absolute worst thing that could happen. And one is, and eh, this isn't so bad. Um, Daniel, what, what would you give this situation uh, from one to 10 hoodies? I would say, given the limited duration that it happened, uh, the fact that there was pretty decent disclosure made uh, fairly quickly and the fact that messages and contacts were not put at risk, I would give this probably a three and a half. All right. So uh, three hood, three full hoodies and then maybe the kangaroo pouch. 
There you go. <laughs> well, if that's half a hoodie, that's a pretty big cake oh, pouch for that yeah, particular that, hoodie. Maybe it's that whole section of the hoodie that encompasses the kangaroo pouch. Everything from the top of the pouch down, shall we say? That's it's true. I just part. really, yeah. yeah, I really just wanted to say kangaroo pouch. <laughs> I'm glad you did. <laughs> me too. Me too. Tim, listening to all this, what would you rate this from one to 10 hoodies? I, you know, there's a sense in which to me, call me crazy, but I almost think the bigger part of this story isn't the signal part. It's the way that Twilio got compromised because there's a bigger picture here, which is when technical support infrastructure slash people get compromised, that gives a scary level of unauthorized access. And I'm forgetting which, it was one of the big stories earlier this year, and I'm forgetting which one, but it also took place through a technical support channel. Uh, Daniel, do you remember? <clears throat> Okta. <clears throat> ah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so the when, when technical support gets compromised, bad things can happen. So I actually, weirdly enough, like I, I, the signal problem is interesting and I hope I'm not one of those 1900 people. Uh, statistically, it seems unlikely, so I'm not worrying too much. So for the signal part, I would agree it's, it's fairly low, you know, maybe one or two hoodies. For the Twilio part, I, they've probably locked this down, but if I were to give a hoodie, hoodie rating to the general problem of technical support infrastructure being compromised, I would put that much higher, like six to seven. So I don't know, should we average those out and make my rating something like four and a half? That sounds reasonable. I certainly fun uh, focused on the signal aspect, but you're totally right. Uh, these kind of uh, likely social, social engineering attacks uh, on support staff are going to become more common uh, especially if there is some sort of outsourcing going on, like it was the case in Okta. It was a, a sub-vendor that was providing some services. It just gets really difficult to manage that, and most companies really need to look at their uh, contracts with that and do a lot better monitoring because if you necessarily have to give your support staff effectively super user access to a bunch of accounts, well, of course, that's what the bad guys are going to target. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Daniel, for, for joining us today and, uh, you know, talking through this story with us. So we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back and we're going to be talking to Tim Helming. So stay tuned. There's more Breaking Badness coming your way. Hi there, Breaking Badness listener. Thanks for spending some time with us. If you're enjoying the show, please consider subscribing and giving us a rating and a review. And heck, maybe even tell a friend about Breaking Badness. Well, anyway, we're awfully glad you're here. So now let's get back to the show. And we are back uh, with Tim Helming. And Tim, if, if job hunting wasn't hard enough, now there are hackers out there to make things worse. Uh, so, so let's, let's start with, you know, what, what exactly is going on here? Can maybe give us like a brief overview of, of what the situation is? Yeah. So apparently this, this is attributed to the Lazarus group, which we'll talk about more in a second, but essentially they have been, they developed a signed 
malicious executable or malware for Mac OS. Um, and what they're looking to do is snag unsuspecting victims who are interested in working at Coinbase. Oh man, that's, that's awful. So, um, well, first of all, um, is there a name like have, I, I guess like when I think of Lazarus, I think of, you know, rising from the dead. Like, were they another group before they were Lazarus? Uh, I, not to my knowledge, although I could be wrong about that. I mean, it would make sense kind of that that's what the naming convention came from. So okay. I don't know what their prehistory was, but their history itself is certainly pretty illustrious. Gotcha. Okay. So so what exactly is a signed malicious executable for, for those who might be unfamiliar? Sure. Yeah. Well, so there are three words there, signed, malicious, and executable. So let's talk about each one of them. Um, if you want a piece of code to run by itself on a system, it's it's generically an executable file. In Windows land, it actually uh, will have that extension .exe. Um, but uh kind of runs autonomously and does things, right? It's it, the lots of, you know, any good application also has executable code in it, but when it's malicious, then it's a malicious executable. So now let's talk about what it means when it's signed. So signing is an authentication process where a piece of code is given a digital signature and in the good world that, you know, confirms that it is what it says on the tin, so to speak, and came from the source that the signature says that it came from. Um, now, it would be very hard to fake a digital signature on a piece of code from the likes of Apple. And in this case, the signature on this malware actually didn't, it didn't come from Apple, to be clear. It came from someone called uh, Shanki Nohira, and there's a group number on that. So, but uh, a lot of code won't run if there's not a signature there um, on it as part of this kind of verification process that happens down at the uh, the kernel level. Gotcha. So, so this is one example of a signed malicious executable. Are are there others out there? Oh yeah, yeah. There's that. This isn't new in that sense. But this story, in a way, is it, it's kind of a tale of two malware because. The uh, this particular social engineering campaign also came with, in fact, a Windows form and, and the Windows form of it, um, I think, has been live a little bit longer and and maybe more successful for them. So um, but then there is evidence that they have developed a Mac version. What's not really clear to me from what I've read about this story so far is whether the Mac version is proliferating much in the wild. Uh, one of the things that I saw about it was that it actually sounds like the uh, C2 server, the command and control server that has been observed as part of the Mac version of this malware was not responsive when some researchers were looking at it last week. Uh, now, does that mean it's been taken down and it's gone? Or does it mean it was just dormant at that time? I don't know. I'm not sure anybody knows that yet. Thanks, Tim. So um, maybe just getting back to the group behind this um, real briefly, um, Lazarus, um, can, who exactly are they? Like where, where, where do they come from and, and is, what else are they, are they known for? Well, I'll tell you, if you want to get a 
an overview of what some of the major forms of malicious online activity are, just go read the Wikipedia entry on Lazarus Group because they've, they've done it all. Uh, they are attributed to North Korea, um, but they've done, they've done distributed denial of service. They've done spear phishing. They've done ransomware. They've done theft of intellectual property. They've done espionage. You know, they are really a very multifaceted group and a very competent group. And uh, so they've, they've pulled off a lot of wins. I mean, WannaCry is probably their most notorious thing, but, um, but really it is, uh, it's informative to look. If you want to understand what advanced persistent threat actually means, these are a good example of it because they do use some advanced techniques. They certainly have proven persistent over the years, and there's no question that they're a threat. So uh, they're, if, you're, if you're new to this field, relatively new to studying APTs and studying various forms of illicit activity online, it really is worth boning up on what Lazarus Group is all about. They, they've diversified their portfolio, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. You got to do that if you want to you want to stay ahead in this world. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what is ex- what exactly is their process in this particular scenario? Yeah, so this is a uh, it's a fairly well-designed social engineering attack and before we go into the technical part of it, it's worth keeping in mind that part of being sophisticated, part of being advanced in APT is understanding your victimology, understanding your targeting and how to do that effectively. And that means being good at social engineering. And certainly there's evidence that they have some pretty good success with this uh, over the years. So in this case, uh, this is a, it's a form of phishing. Uh, to my knowledge, this doesn't uh, primarily or maybe even at all occur over email. It seems to just kick off on LinkedIn. Um, they approach their would-be victim with promises of job opportunities at Coinbase. And what they're trying to do is get the would-be victim to download a PDF document, which tells about all these job opportunities at Coinbase. And, you know, for all I know, that probably is like ripped off from a real PDF that came from Coinbase. If they're smart, they took a real document and then uh, altered it. Uh, However, that PDF is a maldoc and uh, it downloads uh, further tooling. Um, so there's a, a bundle called the Finder Fonts Updater uh, dot app and then a downloader called Safari Font Agent. That's the uh, um, the Mac OS version. And then the, the decoy, this PDF, the decoy itself is the same basically as the Windows malware. But anyway, once it's executed, um, the Windows version would contact GitHub as its command and control service. Uh, the Mac may very well do that as well. That wasn't clear to me from what I read, but ultimately this can lead to remote code execution on the victim machine. Thanks, Tim. What would you estimate the increase has been over maybe the last year or so of of bad actors targeting, uh, web three companies? Um, 62.4588 repeating percent. Uh, I feel like, no, I think, I, yeah, I think I somebody actually asked John Lennon, maybe a question like that. I think some, some random yeah, percent thing. I'd have, I'd have to ask my dad about that. Cause I hope he gave maybe, a similarly wise ass answer. Yeah. No, maybe, you know what? No, it's Bob Dylan. Somebody, Bob Dylan. A, somebody asked Bob Dylan how many folk singers there are. And he had like, 
He just pulled a number out of his. <laughs> 67,429. Yes. yes. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that would be a fantastic trivia question for somebody that's really, really deep in music history, you know, uh, pop music history. How many folk singers did Bob Dylan say there actually were as of that date? So anyway, what's the increase been in uh, bad actors targeting Web3 companies or impersonating stuff in the crypto space in general? You know, I, I haven't heard stats on how much it's increased, but they're going to go where the eyeballs are and where the the interest and excitement are. And so certainly there is a lot of interest. You know, crypto is, is weird these days, right? A lot of the values have imploded. There's just as much bad press about crypto as good press, uh, at least depending on where you're looking. But I think from a mainstream perspective, that seems to be the case. But either way, it gets a lot of attention. So there's no doubt to me that it's been an increase. I just, I, I'd have a hard time trying to quantify that. That's reasonable. Totally reasonable. It was a very... Uh... Bob Dylan y question of me to ask of you. Um, and I forgot my harmonica. <laughs> um, so, uh, what would you say companies and, and maybe individuals can do to protect themselves from this type of badness? Is, the, is there anything that we can do? Absolutely. I mean, if you don't download that PDF document, then it can't execute on your system and you don't have to suffer those consequences. So, being very, very wary of um, where you're getting documents from. Is it a trusted source? Job hunting, this is tricky, right? Because typically there will be a recruiter or something. That's not somebody that you know, so you don't necessarily have a trust relationship. And you may be, especially if you're job hunting and especially if you're you know, in a, in a bad spot and you really need to get something, you might overlook some of the risk factors with this, but it, it comes down to the same things that we tend to always recommend to folks is just to be very uh, thoughtful about the sender of a document and what that document might be. And uh, if you, you know, I don't know to what extent there are signatures detecting this maldoc. They probably are at this point, but of course there's going to be another one tomorrow um, that for which there aren't signatures yet. So uh, it, it's a matter of keeping up your, your best practices in general. Yeah, I think that's, that's the best we can do. And, and, and I would add that, you know, being aware that LinkedIn can be a vector for social engineering. It, so don't just be thinking about email. Gotcha. That's, that's valid. So maybe uh, going from here, we can talk about um, what, what are we going to rate this hoodie-wise? What, what are you thinking? So I... Lazarus is, like I said, is, is very capable. Um, this one, it, what may mitigate the hoodie rating on this right now is that it, like I said, it seems like the C2 is down for the Mac one. The Windows one is identified. So there probably are, certainly will be signatures against that Maldoc. Um, that most of the major AVs and whatnot will catch, whether it's gate, uh, gateway antivirus uh, running in an enterprise or individual people's computers. Um, so, uh, but, you know, we know Lazarus is dangerous and they've got other tricks up their sleeve. I'm going to call this one a, a three to be specific about this. Lazarus themselves are, are a bigger deal, but I'm going to call this particular, from what we know about it, I'll call this particular one three hoodies. Okay, cool. 
Daniel, uh, you know, listening to this, what what would you say from a from a hoodie perspective? You would give this. Yeah, I certainly agree with Tim's uh, assessment that Lazarus is bad news, uh, and you know, the more you underestimate them, the harder they're going to hit. Uh, the specific one was fairly targeted, but not super widespread. So I think I'm going to go with three and a half again. Uh, but this time we're going to cut off the hood and the sleeves and count that. <laughs> and we're going to go hood, no hood, no sleeves. I would call that the Josh Brolin hoodie from the Goonies. <laughs> I think that that's what that is. <laughs> yeah, the Brolin. That's, that's the Brolin from henceforth. That is the Brolin. I love it. You have coined um, that. Well done. This is perfect. I love this. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much, Tim. So we are going to go into our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. For those who might not be as familiar, uh, this is where um, one of us uh, is going to provide three industry article titles. Um, two of them will be true, and one of them will be the lie. Uh, one of us will be the deceiver and the other two will try to guess uh, which which article is the lie. So I am actually playing for Kelsey this week. So um, so I have a lot riding on this. Uh, she's doing very well. Um, so without further ado, let's get going. What do you guys think? Yeah, let's, right. let's get into it. All right. Article one, an encrypted zip file can have two correct passwords. Here's why. Article two, US FinTech company suffers ransomware related data breach. Article three, hackers target hotel and travel companies with fake reservations. Well, here's the thing. Articles two and three are always true. <laughs> now, I don't know that that means that Article 1 is false in this case, but because you could have made up two or three and you would be correct in making it up. And also, they seem like they're perpetually true. They so, might Daniel, what do you think? Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little suspicious because, of course, the last time I was on, uh, I'd pulled the triple. And so I wonder if Callie's trying to get some revenge and they could all three be true. Oh my god! <laughs> That's true. The, the, you, that was the, where you Kobayashi Maru'd this game. Yes, it was the oops all berries <laughs> technique. <laughs> I also <laughs> right, it's all crunch berries. <laughs> it's all yeah, and um, I'm a little like you know gun shy about being the the deceiver this week because if if uh, if listeners uh, checked out last week's episode, we had Aaron G. Clef as our guest and he put like what did he use tim like he he used machine learning to generate yes, a fake to article generate the, yeah <laughs> and he and he got us it and was, he he totally i knew it when he told me what his process was i'm like well there's no way we're gonna win <laughs> i thought i i didn't know what to expect i thought maybe it'll be really easy or not but and maybe it was easy and i still lost i don't know Anyway, for this one, hmm, I think I'm going to go with the, oh, it's, for me, it's a toss up between the, the second and third because they're like sufficiently generic 
Uh, so I'm going to just basically flip a mental coin and <laughs> say it is the airlines one that's or the reservation one that's false. Okay. Daniel, how about you? So I'm I'm pretty sure I read about the zip file one, so that seems uh, accurate one. So I'm gonna go with the second option just to kind of spread the odds a little bit. Okay. Are you guys ready? Yes. The, an- Tell the us. answer. <laughs> Daniel got me, and he only got me because I am not as savvy as Aaron G. Clef, <laughs> and uh, my. My strategy is taking a an existing headline and just changing it a little bit to where it still sounds true, but it's false. So the real headline is Greek natural gas operator suffers ransomware related data breach. And I changed it to U.S. fintech company. That's a good uh, approach. So it sounded I, very plausible. It is. I've used yeah. that approach, too, in the past. It's, I, and I just want to remind you guys, I'm still a little green to the industry. So I, I feel like I should get a pass on that strategy for <laughs> for a little bit. Oh, I mean, <laughs> uh, Chad used to use that strategy sometimes and nobody thought he was green to the industry. So oh, nice. it's tried and true. Okay. Also, tried and untrue cyber in deception. So you're going Cyber through. deception. <laughs> okay. So... I feel I, you know, I still want to do Kelsey, you know, like I want to do her justice. So, um, so yeah, Daniel, you got me this week, but, um, but I am playing. You got me. So Kelsey still gets a point. She still gets a point. So that's good. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. This was not, this was not a wipeout for me. So, but yeah, like after last week, I'm like, great. I have to go after him. I have to follow that. And he, yeah, (laughs) it was, it was a very cool strategy. I really enjoyed that. It does feel like a little bit of an arms race now, so we'll see what next week happen. What happens? That's right. It is. Cool. It is a little bit, and and I blame my my coin, my probability thing. It was equal equal chances, and I just uh, I picked the wrong one. Oh well. It's okay. Yeah, totally. There's always fine. next week. There's always next week. Uh, yeah, next week, um, Taylor Wilkes Pierce uh, should be back on the on the podcast. I will still be. Um, sitting in for Kelsey, but um, I hope everybody uh, enjoyed this week's episode. Um, and please, uh, you know, come back for next week where uh, we have two thirds of the normal gang. Um, so that's pretty good. Uh, and yeah, everybody, be safe out there and and have a great rest of your week. Meanwhile, though, great to have Daniel this week. Thanks so oh, much. Oh yeah, for my pleasure. Anytime. <laughs> that was a jerk move of me. Thank you so much, Daniel. <laughs> no offense taken. You. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel. Kelly like actually me. has a vendetta against you, Daniel. But oh, you know, I, she's I very, very well aware about it. She's like, he oops, all buried everybody. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna thank him. <laughs> I'm watching my back. No, no, but, th- <laughs> but thank you, thank you so much for for uh, for being a guest this week. I know this is this is your second time, mm-hmm. and I hope that uh, we'll be seeing more of you in the future. Um, will there be jackets like on SNL? You know, fifth time. Do you, do you want a jacket? Time? Because I already have one. Well, it's not a jacket. jacket. I don't have a jacket. I have a hoodie. I can, oh, yeah. Hoodie wait, sounds good. I can I can hook you up with a hoodie. <laughs> I don't know, though. Some new Breaking Badness warm-up jackets. That'd that be, sounds huh? that'd pretty, be pretty fl- awesome. We'll have to pretty think about fly. that. Kelsey, if you're listening. 
I want us to look like those uh, those characters from the Royal Tenenbaums with those jackets. Yes. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Good reference. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. After my full paw. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Tim, as always. Um, and again, everybody, have a, just have a great week. Awesome. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.